being able to own a list of the names or handles of people who watch your content and to be able to have that list under the custody of your keys so that no platform can disappear and take it away from you. I think that is one of the great powers of off-chain data, of data backpacks and the emerging creator economy in Web3. If folks like you are able to own your audiences and to engage with them outside of or in, you know, immediately in any new platform, then this means that, you know, you truly have a decentralized community ecosystem. You can pop in and populate any app at any time, but you can also leave any app at any time when it no longer serves you. This is going to be a more, you know, prevalent trend where applications will compete on user experience and value as opposed to just data hoarding, which is traditionally what they're doing right now. NFTs and all my crypto is green. I'm watching Gary V on TV. What do you mean? She wear Gucci and Louis, but her favorite Celine. My old school is old, but I keep that clean. GM, everyone. On this episode of Curated by Quantstamp, we have Evan McMullen, co-founder and CEO of Disco.xyz. Disco is your identity for the metaverse. Disco is building tools which enable users to carry their personal data from Web 2 to Web 3 under their ownership and control. Users are able to authenticate their own verifiable credentials that are stored off-chain in what they call a data backpack. A user can get a credential for any action they take, for example, where they went to school and what podcast they listen to, and they can decide to make the credential public or keep it private. Your wallet containing these credentials can then be used to sign in across different apps and unlock experiences, proving you're the owner of these credentials. We dove deep into how the product works, the types of opportunities that can be opened up by integrating Disco, and what the future holds. We hope you all enjoy this episode. Well, Evan, welcome to the show. Thank you for thank you for coming on. GM, GM, thank you guys so much for having me. It is a delight to be here with you today. Uh, I want to start first with just a little bit of your background, honestly. Um, how did you get into uh, Web3 and, and what made you want to build Disco? So um, a little over 10 years ago when I was an undergrad, um, I was really excited about um, a number of new technologies, emerging technologies, things like social media that allows us to express ourselves in different ways in different environments. Um, as well as free and open source software licenses, things like Creative Commons and Boss and Floss community efforts um, that really opened my eyes to not only the existing paradigm of data ownership, but also how we could make it more free and we could share it in new ways. Um, so sort of in the pursuit of these ideas that I um, came upon the Bitcoin ecosystem. And so that really first um, captured my imagination. It was a system where you could create new identities that could interact with one another and transact, and you didn't have to ask anyone for permission, and no single party could halt your ability to do that. Um, this is around the time of the Arab Spring, uh, and so you may recall there were you know, nations like Tunisia that were limiting their citizens' access to public networks, to internet access, and so therefore the tools that they were using to coordinate. But human coordination persists regardless of what the public infrastructure will provide. And so um, I learned about incredible projects like FireChat that allowed you to use Bluetooth to bounce messages from device to device, bootstrapping a network out of everybody's mobile phones that could approximate the internet and allow people to still message one another and coordinate. Um, so that was sort of the, the point of entry in time when I first got really excited about censorship resistant networks and decentralized infrastructure. Um, but what led me to Disco was, um, you know, many years of work in uh, the Ethereum and Web3 ecosystem that developed around it now into our beautiful multi-chain world. 
Um, and I realized that, you know, our ability to express ourselves on chain is pretty limited because the only kinds of assets that we can have are public and permanent, largely financial assets. And, you know, most of them prepared for ready sale and transfer. And that does not describe the traits that make us up as human beings. Um, so, you know, to quote the movie Fight Club, you are more than the contents of your wallet, right? You are more than the money and financial assets that you have. You are a whole person with preferences and affinities and experiences, accomplishments and talents. And public blockchains do not provide a good environment to express that information because it's not financial. It's not permanent because we change and evolve because we're human beings and it's not exchangeable. I can't sell you my undergraduate diploma and suddenly transfer you all of the knowledge that I learned when I was in college. Um, so at Disco, we're really excited about allowing individuals to bring their whole selves to the party uh, and to own and control the data that describes them so that they can carry it with them to any interaction in physical spaces and applications and smart contracts across chains and back. Because uh, you're the same person when you show up to any application or any wallet address or any identifier on any chain, whether it's crypto or not. Um, and so being able to own and control uh, to self-custody all of yourself, not just your money, um, is what inspired us to uh, create Disco and to extend the abilities of the keys that we already have. You know, you know what's interesting is like I always when I talk to my friends about this and we talk about onboarding, I always say that if you think about it, um, in the in the you know regular world, everyday people, they only small percentage of them are like you know who are investing in art, right? Only small percentage of them are who are actually investing in startups, which I which is what I think about as a PFP project in a sense of like investing in a startup, right? Um, but most people, what do they do? You know, they, they listen to songs, they watch movies, they, you know, they do things, which is all non-financial. Uh, and so that's, I think that to onboard the mainstream, you need to make it so that it's like what mainstream people do in, in a, in a normal world out there you have to make it to the web three world. Right. And so I think it's really interesting, which with, this is where, like, I, I feel what you guys are doing is so cool because that's kind of where in my opinion, the mainstream audience jumps, jumps to, uh, comes to web three. I completely agree with you. I think that Web3 technologies are only as useful as their ability to integrate into the lives we already lead and remove friction and add delight and value. Um, you know, identity and the data that describes us is just an enabling tool to help us do what we were already trying to do better, faster, cheaper, in a more personalized way with less effort and hopefully filling out fewer forms. Um, so one of the you know wonderful benefits of the way that Disco is structured and the way that we handle what we call data backpacks or um, the way that you can own and control that data about yourself and carry it around with you uh, is that you don't need to fund your wallet to take custody of digital assets that you can carry around with you to do stuff. There's no blockchain interaction involved when you're just using your keys to sign and manage off-chain data. So you can imagine your existing MetaMask wallet almost like a personal notary stamp so that when you write statements about yourself or about others, you're able to sign them with your keys. So they can't be tampered with, um, they can't be changed in the future. And so anyone who reads that data that you've signed knows that you've said it and that they can trust that it hasn't been modified in any way. Makes sense. Tyler? So, you know, give like the whole explanation of Disco. But when you meet somebody who's, you know, not in crypto or Web3 or who isn't well-versed, what's like your short elevator pitch to those kinds of people? Never fill out a form again. 
Our definition of the metaverse is your ability to show up in any digital or physical environment and receive a personalized experience based on the parts of yourself that you choose to share. So if you're able to carry around your identity, information about where you live, where you work, what you like, your food allergies, your t-shirt size, your favorite color, your preferred temperature, imagine being able to hop into a rideshare and automatically have it set the environment to your preferences, play the music that you like, um, stop off you know, at your favorite uh, restaurant to grab some food on the way to an event that's already in your schedule without having to explicitly set those preferences. Um, you know, at Disco, we like to imagine a day a few years in the future when we'll invite all of you to a Disco Disco at the Louvre in Paris. And the only thing that you'll need to bring with you when you get off your couch at home is your Disco data backpack. So that means you'll be able to seamlessly move through the doors of your building, ride share, airport security, border screenings, health screenings, all the way to the door of the event in the VIP room um, so that you're experiencing that seamless movement from one space to another enabled by your identity, by the data you're carrying around in your backpack. Now, also, there's a lot of questions that I want to ask based on how this would work, but I'm actually pretty curious, How where does the name Disco came from? So um, we are called Disco because we believe that you are the multifaceted center of the party, just as you are, and you should reflect your data and your identity to the world however you decide. Very cool. All right. Tyler? So today, if, if I were to use Disco, what does that process look like? So right now, Disco allows you to bring your own keys to the party. So you'll visit app.disco.xyz. And for all those who are interested, shoot me a DM and we'll welcome you and get you in uh, on the private beta. Um, so you're going to connect your Web3 uh, EVM compatible wallet as you would normally to adapt in one click. Um, and then you'll be able to start filling out your Disco data backpack. So you'll be able to create basically a handshake between your data backpack and your Twitter handle, your Discord handle, your website, so that each of those recognizes that it's linked to your data backpack and your data backpack also consents. So it's kind of like a handshake between those two identifiers. Um, you own that link, so you can take it anywhere with you. Disco doesn't own it. Disco can't modify it in any way. Um, you can also choose a profile picture, a brief bio, and these are um, biographical credentials that you can carry with you to fill out profiles in other apps throughout the Web2 and Web3 ecosystem. You can also issue credentials to friends, such as a GM, which is like a Facebook-style poke, um, just to say hello. You can also issue a vouch credential to other folks who you trust to indicate the fact that they've got great vibes and that you vouch for them. Um, you can also issue SNAPS credentials to folks in your network, in your ecosystem, your community, your team, to recognize different ways that they've positively contributed to your work together. Um, you're also able to issue credentials to yourself that are kind of like personal presets for the world around you. So these can include your preferred pronouns, the language that you prefer to operate in, your preference for light or dark mode, and even your t-shirt size. Um, so all of these credentials are things that you're able to stash in your data backpack. And then other applications can call the Disco API. And based on whether or not you've decided to make these traits public, then you're going to be able to display or use those credentials inside of other applications or even to access things on-chain, um, such as exclusive NFT mints, uh, chat channels on Telegram and Discord, collaboration tools like Google Docs and GitHub. So I guess one question is, what do you mean by a credential? And also, how does one issue a credential? If I want to issue a credential for, like you talked about, like, you know, let's say, like, be defined as a he, for example, as a my pronoun, how would I do that? 
Great question. So a credential um, is kind of like an off-chain NFT, if we want to think of it related to other, um, you know, primitives and structures that we know in Web3. Um, so there's this organization called the World Wide Web Consortium. They're like the people who came up with and run the internet. Um, and they're really good at helping different networks talk to each other. That's kind of how we ended up with the internet that we have now. They created protocols like TCP IP and HTTPS and proliferated them so that all of our computers could talk to each other. And so that, you know, you guys could uh, have this conversation here with me today. Um, so the W3C has created some new ways for us to help different networks talk to each other. In this case, different blockchain networks as well as Web2 networks. Um, so a verifiable credential is the shared data language that can be spoken by many different kinds of keys. So messages that can be sent from Bitcoin keys to Ethereum keys to PGP keys to email addresses and back where everybody's going to be on the same page without the need to use a bridge or translate that information. So the little unit of a verifiable credential um, is a signed statement or a signed attestation written by one party about another or about itself. So like a diploma, once it's written about you, it's always going to be written about you. It's encrypted and signed by the keys of the person saying it. So it's kind of like that personal notary stamp where if you issue a credential, you sign it with your keys. Anyone who resolves or reads that credential is going to be able to know that you're the one who said it. Um, now, these credentials can be revoked and they can be set to expire. So they're a little bit more flexible than on-chain attestations, which are going to be public and permanent. They're private by default, so they're known only to your keys when you first receive them. Um, and then you can decide how public you want to make them after the fact, whether you want to share them with everybody, whether you want to make them public for a time and then mark them to be private so they're no longer public and queryable. Um, so you've got a lot of flexibility there. Additionally, verifiable credentials are just files, kind of like PDFs. Um, and so they're off-chain. They don't live on a blockchain, so they don't require any gas fees. We don't have to wait for network latency or, you know, worry about um, bridges or anything like that when we're moving them from one space to another. Um, and they have basically no marginal cost to create because they're just off-chain signed files. Um, the way that we're able to use our existing wallets to sign and manage these credentials is thanks to EIP-712. Um, so that governs sign type data and the Ethereum ecosystem basically allows us to extend the capabilities of our existing keys to be able to issue, request, disclose, and you know manage these kinds of these kinds of um, data assets. Uh, but in Disco, um, receiving a credential, issuing a credential feels a little bit like receiving and and creating or sending an NFT, but easier, faster, and cheaper. So if you wanted to um, write a credential about yourself that says that you want to use the he/him preferred pronouns. Um, you're going to click a button that says issue yourself a credential. You're going to choose that pronoun credential. You're going to pick your preference, click issue credential, and that's it. That self-attested digital asset is going to land in your data backpack. You can decide whether to mark it public so that apps can see it or to keep it private and then decide to share it later in another context. Um, but that's about it. It happens pretty instantaneously. My question from that is like, let's say you wanted to issue a credential that like from the college you graduated from how would you how would you, how would you like submit something that shows you graduated as opposed to like oh i graduated from harvard and you submit like a, like a cooking recipe how does it <laughs> gonna know like what's wait, what's being like submitted that's a great question so the answer here for how much can we can trust credentials is signatures all the way down so you're going to trust a credential um, you're going to trust a statement as much as you trust the party who said it to be a, you know, a subject matter expert on that topic. Um, so if you carry around a verifiable credential signed by Evan that says you went to Harvard, 
that's not very convincing. Evan is not really, uh, you know, a person who can issue those things with authority. But if you receive a credential signed by keys that sit at harvard.edu that are associated with the university that can be easily found and identified as being owned by the same party um, that is Harvard University, then that's going to make it much easier. Um, so Harvard is actually part of the Digital Credentials Consortium, which is a really forward-thinking group of universities that are issuing verifiable credentials for things like diplomas. So they've really been leading the way in terms of how to um, make it really easy for people reading credentials to tell the, the university or issuing party, um, you know, the, the identity of that organization that issued that credential. Um, so at Disco, we make it really easy to associate your signing keys with your website with your Twitter handle, with your Discord handle. Um, and so in that way, we're helping organizations that do Web3 education be able to issue credentials of course completion um, so that you know anyone who resolves those credentials is going to be able to see that they're also associated with that website, with that Twitter handle, so we can get some trust assurances from other places. Um, in fact, actually, we're working with some friends who uh, also host podcasts to issue credentials um, to the guests on their podcast. So if that's something you guys want to talk about, happy to do that for you, uh, you and your guests or you and your community. Uh, we would love to. Actually, also, can you add, is it, can you also add like art to your credential or do make it more dynamic, I guess? That is a fabulous question. So verifiable credentials do not take an opinion about their contents. So you can put anything that you can imagine inside of a verifiable credential. Anything you can put into a file, you can put into a credential. So conceivably, there's no reason that you could put that you couldn't put an image, a video. Um, so the challenge with you know dynamic content is that, of course, it's an encrypted static file. So you could put a link in there and you could change out you know what's on the end of the link. But then you would have some of the persistence challenges that we um, that we run into with NFTs that contain links. And then sometimes the files at the end of those links get switched out or the links break, that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, there are really, you know, there's no rules police when it comes to what you can put inside of a verifiable credential. So you can encompass just about whatever you want to carry with you in your data backpack from one place to another. Yeah, the reason I brought this up because uh, we were talking to Snowfro about this and he, he had a beautiful idea. He said, when you, you know, every episode, you guys can give out some NFTs uh, and it could be an art from an art blocks artist. Um, but we thought about this and we were like, as soon as we start doing that, people will start like, you know, botting it and, you know, we'll be one really get the real listeners who are listening to us. It will just be try people trying to make money off like the NFTs. Right. And we really want to know the real people so that we can actually kind of like talk to them and, you know, expand that community. But it's actually pretty interesting if you can combine that with the credential part. Now you're not trying to sell it because actually there's no, there's no reason for bots to come and bot it. And for us, it's like we could find like, who the real person is listening to us. We've got a few different ways that we could approach that challenge, actually. So um, depending on the action that you're trying to incentivize, you could issue credentials uh, when you know people complete that action. And you could use those credentials to unlock access to an NFT minting contract so that only people who have the proofs of doing the action that you're looking for um, are going to be able to mint from that contract. Now, separately, you could just encompass the art itself in a credential and issue it to different people so that um, they're able to take custody of that credential. It's written about them. Um, so it's not prepared for ready sale or transfer. Um, so there are a few different ways that you can use credentials um, and on-chain interactions together. Uh, so it's a really fun new primitive, uh, kind of like a new data shape that we can play with alongside NFTs and fungible tokens. Interesting. So what would be an example of that? Example of that would be, let's say, if somebody, because you're saying it's an action, right? So if somebody, 
um, link their Twitter account and if they've had X amount of tweets, for example, would that be an action? Can you? Sure. Yeah. Any, uh, any non, um, any, any on or off chain action that can be described in a credential um, can be attested to and shared. Um, and so there's really no limit on the set of rules that you can create um, to enable different privileges based on the credentials someone has. So an example right now of, um, of NFT uh, minting that is unlocked with credentials um, is that if, uh, if folks on board to Disco set up their data backpacks, they receive a Disco not credential upon completing the setup of their data backpack. Then they're going to be able to visit an NFT minting site that we set up with our friends at District Labs, connect their wallet as they would normally, and mint a disco-fied NFT. So we've got a bunch of cool objects covered in disco mirrors, beautiful images that you're going to only be able to mint if you have that disco not credential in your data backpack. Um, and so in this way, we're using off-chain data to um, unlock access to on-chain logic without passing the entire credential to the smart contract. So we're not you know, unduly exposing data about our data backpack owners. What's actually happening at a technical level is that we're generating a signature that proves that you've got the right credentials to be able to mint from that contract and passing that teeny little signature to the smart contract. So because it's a really small piece of data, it's not going to be terribly expensive and it's going to be pretty quick. Um, so, and it's also privacy preserving sort of as a nice side effect. But the intention for this design is to show folks that you can take your membership credential um, or your disco not credential, but a credential of any kind, and you can use that singular credential to access um, Discord channels, Telegram chats, get GitHub repos, Google collaboration tools, on-chain NFT mints, um, and then coming soon, uh, some more instances where people can use their credentials to get into physical spaces. Very cool. I, I want to quickly keep it on this topic and and read out something that you said in one of your uh, one of the recordings you did before, um, and that is like you know you talked about W three C building a uh, independently verifiable Web three ready reputation from the apps we already use from Web two with our own self attestation. And in your talk with Bankless, you gave an example of Ariana Grande and talked about how you know the like top one percent of her fans receive a credential and you know maybe get a perk for being a top user and if you're at the concert you know you, you can kind of uh, recognize that they're top 1% and they can go on stage or whatever kind of reward that's been set. How do you get that data from Spotify? Like, how can you see that I am listening the top 1% on Spotify uh, for for an artist? Or, or, or were you talking about there has to be a decentralized version of Spotify and that's when we will be able to do that? So I think we've got a few different ways to contemplate this data. Um, you know, one, there's an opportunity for us to work with existing DSPs like Spotify, like Tidal, like SoundCloud, um, to be able to integrate that data and show them that there is ver merit and value in making it portable. Um, I know that there are, you know, some limited capabilities with the existing API infrastructure that we have. And there are also a lot of opportunities to collaborate with cool folks in the web-free ecosystem, such as Audius. So there are a number of ways that we can bring this data in. Um, we can, you know, feed it in via API and issue these credentials programmatically. We can allow folks to do it manually and kind of take custody of credentials as they see fit, as they would like to um, be able to manage these traits and carry them with them. Um, but I think what's uh, what's particularly exciting about this example that you've described is our ability to move this data from one space to another and kind of collect it in a form where it can be taken all together. So whether that is, um, you know, interacting on Twitter, interacting on Discord, interacting in a media player, interacting on a minting site, a merchandise site in physical space, we can start to collect, you know, proofs of 
participating in these different activities that can be taken all together to show a much more holistic picture of how we're interacting, um, as opposed to just creating little slivers of ourselves in each different interaction, but not in a manner that we can collect all together. So how does Disco keep your information securely off-chain while retaining user ownership? So your data is stored encrypted against your keys, which means that it's locked up in a way that only you can open, um, only you can summon. Um, and it's going to be stored uh, right now on the ceramic network, which is decentralized storage infrastructure. Um, and so this allows us to enjoy some availability of that data when you choose to make it public. Um, but it maintains it under your ownership and control at all times and allows you to make that data private should you so desire. Uh, so we're really excited to integrate a number of different storage solutions. So you'll be able to pick your data up and move it when you need to, um, and you won't be bound to any single storage solution. So we really believe that decentralization is all about your ability to own and control your expression of self in all its different forms and to decide where that happens when it happens. Um, and so in this way, we want to make sure that you're never bound to any single service provider, not even Disco itself. Can, can you expand on the, what the ceramic network is exactly? And is it, that's not something you guys created, right? That, that was already in place? Nope. So the ceramic network uh, comes from our awesome friends who also started 3Box Labs. Um, it's a decentralized storage network, kind of like a DevX layer on top of IPFS or the Interplanetary File Storage System. Um, so it makes uh, IPFS easy to use for us to store data. Yeah. So is it is it possible, for example, to disconnect a Discord account with a wallet after it has been linked? Yep, absolutely. You can always change the um, different identifiers, the different names that you associate with your Disco Data Backpack. Um, I'm sure that you all are probably not using the instant messenger screen name that you first created in 2001 or 1999 or whenever you started using the internet. Um, and you're probably using different email addresses than you had when you were in seventh grade too. Um, so we definitely want to make sure that our ability to um, change and evolve as people is reflected in our data backpacks too. Very cool. So... Do you guys recommend like creating a new fresh wallet for this as, as opposed to using one that might have some like value, valuable NFTs on it or just some ETH in general or some assets? Um, it's entirely up to you. So I definitely think that when we're playing around with new tools and exploring them for the first time, that using a fresh wallet is a really great way to make sure that we have really low risk experience. Um, not that there's a whole lot of risk here, but it might just help folks feel a little bit more comfortable and help encourage good operational security when we're trying new tools. Um, so if you want to be able to use your credentials alongside your on-chain assets, so, you know, in the near future, we'll be releasing your ability to receive credentials based on what you've done on-chain, then you might want to be using um, a wallet where you've got some on-chain activity that and you've got some, some assets that you might like to bring to the party. Um, in the future, we're really excited about allowing you to link together multiple addresses so that you can share one address publicly, but still be able to enjoy the off-chain credentials and private data that you've built up around all of your different addresses. Because you're the same person who shows up to any party, regardless, and, you know, you still have all of those different traits, so you should be able to use them. Um, but for now, I would definitely suggest starting off maybe with a clean wallet, and that can allow you to explore and play with abandon. And then if you decide that on-chain assets definitely you know, are something that you want to be able to bring to the party and use alongside your off-chain credentials, then you can always start up a data backpack with that wallet as well. Gotcha. And then another question kind of leading back to the first question we had about someone who's not in Web3 or crypto native, are there any... Any resources that Disco will provide, let's say someone who's never even had a wallet before, to kind of help 
get them to the point where, okay, I have MetaMask, where I have an, an external wallet that I can now connect? Is that something that you guys are planning to, to the, provide as a resource? Or is this more focused towards people who already have like that base level knowledge? So we welcome Disco Knots of all levels of technical literacy. Um, and so although we're starting off by focusing on um, membership credentials in the Web3 community as a way to onboard uh, groups of folks and, and welcome them into the Discoverse, we actually are already helping folks set up their very first Web3 wallets, their very first MetaMasks, and getting started with their data backpacks as part of their very first steps into the Web3 ecosystem. I actually find that it's really fun for folks who don't yet have wallets to start playing with Disco because they're going to be able to obtain digital assets with their keys and to send them and to interact with other folks without having to first fund their wallets because Disco doesn't have any associated fees for generating and sharing and playing with your credentials. Um, and so in this way, we kind of get a feel for what Web3 is like, what the feeling of self-custody is like, and what it's like to bring these assets to different apps without having to connect a bank account or do some of the actions that can feel a little bit more invasive, scary, or high gravity for new users. Well, one question I would have is like, you know, personally, when I buy different NFTs, I, you know, put them in different wallets because even if my one wallet gets hacked or if I lose the keys, it's only got, it's going to be, a, you know, one NFT that I lose or whatever, right? A few of them, but then I have, but, but if your entire identity is on one wallet, for example, what happens if you lose the keys or what happens if you, you know, uh, get hacked? That's a great question. So one of the benefits of decentralized identifiers or the technology that sits behind your data backpack that makes it possible to own and control these different kinds of credentials um, is that in the spec, in the, the technical specification from the W3C, decentralized identifiers have the ability to rotate keys. So what this means is that if your keys become compromised or hacked or um, you were you know, managing a data backpack on behalf of a company for your role and you're not going to be in that role anymore, um, those keys can be rotated so that a new set is generated. Um, another really fun capability that this unlocks for us is um, the ability to have a custodial data backpack. So one where you don't necessarily even have to manage your own keys, where you can just use a username and password and start collecting your credentials in your data backpack and doing some simple interactions. Then you can decide when you're ready that you want to take custody of your very own keys. We can rotate the keys that sit behind your data backpack and you can um, take them for yourself and you know self-custody self your data adventure off into the sunset. Um, but of course, providing um, that kind of upgradable, progressive decentralization experience, I think is going to make it a lot easier for us to welcome folks who aren't necessarily ready for the um, you know, high gravity interactions of managing your own keys or connecting a bank account or spending money. What does rotating the keys mean? And also like, would I have to like, how would I prove, example, let's say I lost my keys, would I be contacting Disco and be like, hey, I lost my, I lost my wallet. How would that process work? So we are in the process of exploring just that right now. So we will keep you posted on um, how this evolves. Fortunately, there are a number of examples out in the ecosystem from our friends at Argent, our friends at Aptos of different ways that we can manage key rotation. Um, now, some of the more traditional forms I don't necessarily think are going to be the best move, such as those that publish um, while other wallet addresses on chain um, that uh, that can be used to recover those keys um, or anything that's going to require significant cost um, to be able to recover. We want to make sure that, um, you know, you own your identity and so you don't get locked out of your own existence, you know, every time you lose a password. Um, so we're really excited to be able to now have enough of that infrastructure to do this sort of thing. 
um, for many years, we haven't had storage where we can put credentials or we haven't had a web interface where a human being could take custody of one. Um, so now we've just gotten enough of this foundational infrastructure in place that we can start doing the higher order capability research and preparing for these new features this year. Any insights of data you can share from the private beta, uh, private beta that stands out so far? Um, yeah, absolutely. So one of the most exciting insights that I've seen that I was not expecting is that our onboarding has turned into a social competition. Um, and what I mean by that is that when you start off with Disco, um, you know, we encourage you to send a GM credential to another, another user as a way to get used to the idea of writing and sending a digital asset in the form of a credential. Um, so uh, our data backpack owners have become so enthusiastic about GMing one another, about sending GMs to each other, that we've even start, started to see folks taking screenshots of their inboxes of all of their GM credentials and posting them on Twitter to brag. Um, so AlphaLeak, this has informed the way that we're building out some of our initial implementations to showcase credentials. So we'll be rolling out a GM leaderboard um, in uh, the, the coming weeks that'll help um, us to better surface and illustrate those who would like to participate because consent is really important. Those who would like to participate um, are going to be able to make their GMs public and show uh, where they are in the standings of those who've received GMs. Um, so we'll also integrate some special privileges into um, the Disco Merch Store. So based on the number of GMs that you have, you'll be able to receive uh, different items like this, cat, like this hat for free um, based on the credentials and reputation that you've got in your data backpack. Uh, another really fun thing that we've noticed from um, our private beta is that membership credentials seem to be the heart and soul of people's first experiences with Disco. So once they receive a membership credential and realize that they're able to use it in multiple different places to gain privileges from accessing merch to accessing collaboration tools, getting on the calendar, being able to participate in the conversations that are happening in the chat channels, um, all kind of in one fell swoop. This has been um, a really great signal for us. So we're doubling down on the experience that we can provide around these membership credentials and really excited to remove friction and add value to Web3 organizations like DAOs in the process. Um, actually, I have a really very basic uh, question that I think could be really helpful for folks. So when I, when I think about, correct me if I'm wrong here, by the way, when I think about Disco or, or you know your your identity, your credential, I think about comparing it to the physical world, the way I look at it is, my house, for example, or my, or my, uh, let's say my safe, right? I have all the credentials here, like in, in physical world, right? Like I have my passport in my home, you know, I have my, my favorite clothes, my, you know, my, my degree certificate, whatever, right? And then depending on where I'm going, I'm taking whatever is needed. So if I'm traveling, I'm taking my passport, right? If I'm going to, for some form of like a, a government thing, I'm, or I need my degree, I'm taking my certificate, for example, right? Or whatever, wherever I'm going, I'm taking whatever it's needed. So, so backpack in the digital world might be that my home or my entire entity and then wherever I'm going, I'm showing that that part of my life and you know accessing that to to get to do whatever I need to do. Now is that correct, first of all? Yes, that's, that's a great way to think about it. Perfect. And so then if that's the case, how am I what's the what does the process of looking like? Am I using a phone, an app where I'm saying only show example my degree and then you know show the app to to access that degree? Like what's the interface of um, getting through the next, uh, the, the phase where I'm using my credential to get through. Yep, that's a great question. So how do we use our credentials to do stuff outside of just managing them and looking at them? Exactly. Um, so right now, um, what you can do with Disco is you can decide whether the credentials in your backpack, um, whether you'd like to make those private or public. 
Private means known only to you, and public means they can be decrypted for apps to be able to access and read. Um, so moving forward this year, we're really excited to integrate even more flavors of, of publicity and privacy in between those two choices. So allowing for things like zero knowledge proofs um, to share something about your data, but not necessarily the data itself, as well as signatures um, that prove that you have the right credentials to be able to interact, but don't expose that data. For example, uh, be, I'm a board ape holder, but not which ape. Exactly. Not which ape. Um, and, you know, being able to prove that, you know, at a moment in time, exactly, that some, you know, piece of information was accurate, whether that's a snapshot from the chain or an attestation from another person. Um, so you've got the ability to curate and collect all these different pieces of information about yourself. Um, and then we are really excited to uh, build, you know, for the first time for users at scale, what's called selective disclosure or your ability to decide which fields of a credential you want to expose. So for example, if we're talking about a diploma, do you want to keep the whole diploma private? Do you want to make the name of the university public, the name of your major public, your GPA public or not? I don't even know if they put those in diplomas, um, but you get it. It's sort of the idea of making individual pieces of information inside of a bigger credential public or private. So selectively disclosing you know, particular parts of a, of a credential. Um, the UX for this kind of disclosure is not super evolved yet because we haven't yet had these abilities. So right now um, on Disco, when you choose to make a credential legible to other apps, accessible for apps to rely upon, the experience you're going to have is that you're going to connect your wallet with one click as you would normally to that DAP. They'll ping the Disco API, be able to read those credentials, and then deliver that personalized experience to you accordingly. So for example, if you use your Disco Not credential to access our unlocked NFT mint, um, you're basically gonna feel no uh, no friction related to Disco. You're just gonna connect your wallet, your um, uh, Disco data backpack is gonna be checked to see whether or not you have the right credential. And if you do, you're just gonna proceed into the user flow. So our goal with Disco is to add as little friction and interruption to your process as possible. We wanna get you kind of out of the uh, app and into the adventure as quickly as we can. Is there like a chicken and egg situation? Because I'm sure you have to like go and partner with all these brands, right? Like, and then also get users. Is that is that correct? So rather than chicken and egg, let's make it a little bit more complicated. Um, I don't know if you guys are familiar with the book, The Cold Start Problem from uh, Andrew Chen. Um, yep. Definitely one of our, the favorites among our peers. Um, so I would describe verifiable data as a three-sided cold start problem. Maybe even a three to N-sided cold start problem. So we need applications and communities that are in individuals issuing credentials, folks who are handing out these credentials to data backpack owners who are accepting the credentials, putting them in their backpacks, carrying them to verifiers, a third party um, who rely upon those credentials and provide personalized experiences accordingly. So you've got our issuers, our data backpack owners, and our applications are verifiers that rely upon that data. Um, and so we need to ensure that our issuers are issuing credentials that the verifiers want to read and that the holders want to take custody of and receive value from bringing to different app experiences. Um, so we found that the best way to jumpstart this three-sided cold start problem is to look uh, to the spaces in Web3 where people are experiencing friction and switching costs that we can alleviate with some portable data. So we've definitely seen a lot of this in the DAO ecosystem where the switching costs from DAO to DAO are quite high. It's pretty hard for you to prove that you wrote the newsletter, organized a meetup, attended five Discord stages, participate daily um, you know, in Twitter threads. And so uh, being able to capture proofs of non-financial work 
proofs of roles and reputation and carry those from one space to another where they can be easily read by people who've never even met the parties we set them uh, in the first place. Um, that has been really a, a sort of North Star for our work in the Web3 space and is the reason that we started to roll out things like Snaps credentials and Vouch credentials um, to start to bootstrap that network of trust. Yeah, that makes so much sense because, because it's been a financial gain so far that any time, even as if you're trying to build a collect like a NFT community in a, any niche, you are getting most of the people who are coming in are for, for like just trying to flip the flip the NFT, and so you're not really getting the people who are actually should you know who are who love that particular thing. So having credentials actually really helps with that too because you can kind of you can kind of verify is this person do I really want this person um, in my community? For example, will this you know will they add value to this community? Kind of what we were talking about before with the whole. Like you know, the uh, somebody who listened to a podcast. How do we con how do we confirm that and not just like let give like you know, uh, just get give bots the uh, the the NFTs or the advantages or whatever it might be. Now, one really fun thing about NFT communities is that we can use credentials to recognize on chain actions, such as having minted from the contract, having held for a certain period of time, having at one point collected all of the different colors of hats. Um, you know, having only ever, uh, you know, sent NFTs um, among wallets that you own, so never having traded them. Um, there are a whole variety of different ways that we can recognize and reward on-chain interactions in a simple off-chain manner um, that can be verified and can be carried across contexts. Um, so combining our on-chain and, you know, actions with off-chain proofs and reputation really makes this kind of stuff fun when we think about curating community. That's awesome. I had... One more security question, and I don't know if this falls under like the umbrella of what you're currently trying to solve. So let's say you have like a bunch of credentials associated with your with your keys, and somehow those keys like fell into a bad actor's hands. This what is what's the user's course of action? Do they go back to you in Disco and say like I need help transferring my, you know, all my all these credentials? Is there is that something you're still trying to figure out, or is there like a process that to do that? We have not yet built that. So once we have that in place, I'm very excited to walk you through that very precise user flow. Um, but I definitely think that um, there's going to be recourse through Disco. I think that especially as we start to serve communities of folks who are less familiar with these underlying technologies, the quality of support that we provide as a community and as individual teams, products and services needs to be outstanding. So basically, Evan just said that she's ready to come on the show once again, Lynn. That's right. We, we, Absolutely. Yeah. How convenient. I'm free that day. Let's do it. I love it. Um, so one thing that, you know, so I'm, I am uh, I used to be an advertiser, or still am, I guess. Uh, and one thing that, you know, I most people are unaware that, you know, most people are aware or unaware that Google and other companies, you know, are taking ownership of their personal and contact information in some way, right? And but I but I believe it's a friction problem. You know, even if people are aware, I don't think they want to do anything. It's just because this is my my own view. Because it's like it's a lot of work. And it's, they don't want to figure it out. They're busy in their lives, right? So the UX has to be very very simple. And and I I think one way to solve this by getting people paid for the for their data, right? Like because if you are not getting paid for the data and you're like you're doing your own thing, but now you're saying, oh hold on, just change to this, and now you get paid for it without doing anything every 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 uh, month or whatever, like kind of like what Brave is trying to do in a sense, right? At that point, it adds, oh, why not? What do I have to lose here, right? One, I save my data, and I, you know, I keep it private, and two, I get paid for it. What's, I was wondering, what's your take on this? 
So it's funny that you mentioned that because I actually just met with a couple of folks who used to work at Google who are executives in their ad practice who are excited about building a zero-knowledge ad network on top of Disco that will pay users um, and allow them to enjoy personalized recommendations um, in a manner that's not going to overexpose the valuable data that they're accruing around themselves. Um, so, I, you know, one thing I would note here is that I think it's really important for us to think about active actions and choices when we talk about privacy. Uh, privacy is kind of like a static state of being. It's pretty abstract and amorphous. Like, what is privacy? It's like the, I don't know, what, like the absence of privacy is the absence of consent over your data, the ability to share, forfeiting that in some capacity. Um, but, you know, once you once you give it up, you can't get it back. Um, so I think focusing on our ability to enable selective disclosure to enable consent over data sharing, informed consent, that is, um, is a, a really helpful way for us to think about the important stages of UX that we need to build um, and the responsibility that users have in you know, taking custody of a valuable asset and then choosing what to do with it. Um, but I think the idea of monetizing our data labor is not inherently a bad one, but I think it's really important for us to consider how we're doing that. So if we're just selling our data and handing it over, we're forestalling the status quo, the situation that we already have um, by you know, getting another 10 bucks a month but still being stuck with the surveillance capitalist machine that we have today. So I think it's really exciting to explore things like licensing our data for specific uses, um, right. zero knowledge computation upon our data to ensure that the content we're being served is appropriate for us, but not necessarily forfeiting all of the information used to curate personalized experiences. Um, let's talk about like, Disco versus like it's actually I have we've seen you on uh conversation with Metallic over soulbound versus you know off-chain verifiable credentials. Can we explore that a little bit? Why why do you believe that you know off-chain is better than on-chain? For so I don't I wouldn't say I believe off-chain is better than on-chain. I think that different tools are optimized for different jobs. Um so I think that public ledgers are a great place for data that expresses value or uniqueness that needs to be public and immutable and accessible to everyone on earth and in space with an internet connection for all time. Uh, especially if that data needs to be transferable and needs you know, public settlement um, in a programmatic manner in a, in a way that you know, can settle sort of if this, then that, then public blockchains are a really great place for that to happen. But if data needs to change or evolve over time, if data can be used to marginalize people, if data does not require global publicity in perpetuity, then it's probably going to be suboptimal for a blockchain. It's probably going to be an expensive overshare to publish data um, in a way that's that's so public, that's so permanent, and that involves costs. Um, so at Disco, we think a lot about the principle of minimal or minimum disclosure. So how can we keep our data on a need-to-know basis where we're only sharing it with the folks who need to see it when they need to see it for the purposes they need to see it? And we're not giving them free reign to play with it, to do whatever they would like with it otherwise. So I find that on-chain proofs um, present a number of challenges when it comes to data about human beings. Um, if we take, for example, so, you know, Sylvan tokens certainly have like a, a defined tech spec. They're more of an idea, a meme. Um, but the premise, as I understand it, is modifying uh, an existing NFT um, smart contract, let's say, you know, ERC-721 modifying the transfer function so that it is more challenging or more limited or, or, or I guess, yeah, limited to be able to transfer 
that asset to break the mapping between the token ID and your public key. Um, so when a token gets mapped to your wallet, to your public key, um, unless you you know who's sitting behind the keys that sent it over, uh, and unless you look at the blockchain for some clues, it's really hard to tell whether that token was wanted or unwanted, whether it was sent as a gift, whether it was earned or airdropped, stolen, uh, minted directly, um, you know, sent over uh, in addition to a handful of cash in person, um, whether it was meant as bullying or whether it was meant as an admirational gift. Um, in fact, Vitalik himself, himself has been the recipient of, uh, you know, hundreds of millions, I think billion dollars worth of tokens, of Shiba tokens, if you remember that. Um, and uh, despite the fact that he did not ask for these tokens, once they became mapped to his public address, they suddenly became associated with his identity, became his responsibility. Um, and so we have no um, curatorial power to decide what people put in NFTs on an open and permissionless network. And so if we start to include data that can be used to marginalize people, why would we think that that would not happen? Um, so, for example, if we talk about, you know, university diplomas, um, if Bennett College, a historically black women's university, sends out its, its diplomas in non-transferable NFTs, you're going to know that the holders of all of those wallets are black women. Now, I don't know if there are a lot of examples of history where having public registries of ethnic minorities has been a good thing. But I know there are plenty of examples in history where it hasn't been so great and examples of modern history where it's been a problem as well. And so I think that for data that, you know, is necessary to feed into smart contracts, we have some really exciting options of how we can use off-chain credentials to limit our, or unlock on-chain actions. Um, so when it comes to being able to incite smart contracts, mint NFTs, access DeFi pools, we can do a lot of those really exciting permissioned activities without needing to put, you know, data unnecessarily on chain. Furthermore, um, if, you know, I wanted to bully you and I wanted to send you a whole bunch of non-transferable NFTs that say you're a jerk, um, then, you know, your recourse would either be, you know, being stuck with them. If, uh, if the transfer function had been modified, you didn't have the ability to burn them. But if you had to burn them, then you'd have to spend a whole bunch of gas burning all these unwanted NFTs. So you would have to pay to scrape the unwanted bumper stickers off of your wallet. Um, and, you know, anyone who has access to a node would be able to look back at those transactions on the chain and see that content was indeed there. And they wouldn't know whether that content was wanted or unwanted. Um, and so it's uh, it's a really dangerous um, or, you know, potentially dangerous thing to contemplate um, systems that have scarlet letters like this that don't have public recourse, that don't include due process of law. Uh, you know, we stopped burning witches hundreds of years ago in the United States because we decided that recourse and fair resolution of, you know, bold accusations was going to be a really important part of how we manage reputation in America. Um, and so I think it's, and you know, we have an opportunity in Web3 to perhaps solve um, some earlier problems rather than um, marking people with signals of the worst things that they've ever done when it comes to negative reputation. Um, you know, for example, we could work on party invitations first. Uh, we could sort out how to recognize, you know, listeners of podcasts and contributors to DAOs and start to build up positive reputation so that the absence of positive reputation is cause for a conversation and maybe even negative reputation itself. I honestly, I really like the the one thing personally being in, you know, in the um, 
in the media space for a bit now. I really like the idea of being able to see how much, you know, how much interaction a user is having and giving them credential for that, right? Like basically rewarding for actions, because that's always been a case. Like if you think about YouTube as a prime example, uh, a creator really has no idea who is like, you know, watching, how much are they watching? They have no information, right? And again, and it's totally fine if the user doesn't want to share it, but YouTube has all of that information or Google doesn't, they may call the money, but the creator is completely like blindsided. The, the user is not getting paid, like, like not a win-win in any way, right? It's, it's just only Google is the one who's winning. So I really like that idea of like, even that one simple problem of like, you know, giving people the ability to, um, to one, share the data ID, get rewarded for it. And as a creator, giving them the ability to know and connect with their fans or their, you know, their people who are engaging. Definitely. And on a very basic level, being able to own a list of the names or handles of people who watch your content and to be able to have that list under the custody of your keys so that no platform can disappear and take it, take it away from you. I think that is one of the great powers of um, you know, off-chain data, of data backpacks and the emerging creator economy in Web3. That if, you know, if folks like you are able to own your audiences and to engage with them outside of or in, you know, immediately in any new platform, then this means that, you know, you truly have a decentralized community ecosystem. You can pop in and populate any app at any time, but you can also leave any app at any time when it no longer serves you. Um, and so I'm thinking this is going to be a more, um, you know, prevalent trend where applications will compete on user experience and value as opposed to just data hoarding, which is traditionally what they're doing right now. And we, we talked about this on our Poe app episode. I also think that personally, like, you know, as, as this gets better and better, I feel like, um, like dating, um, connection with people, any kind of stuff that is very like human, uh, relationship based, I think will be so much better. Like example would be, you know, like, I think like, you know, most people would like, as a dating perspective, it would be really great for like people to, or friendship even to find out like who listen to different similar kind of podcasts or similar kind of like, you know, behaviors. Um, you know, example would be, let's say, if I listen to a lot of like a, like a, like stocks podcast, a random example here, right? Uh, it'd be really cool to find out who else does on, you know, on, on the, as a, as a guy, as a, as a person or as, as a guy or as a female or whatever, and being able to connect because it'll be so much more common because we're spending two hours a day or an hour a day, every day to listening to that or like spending time in that, right? As compared to just being randomly uh, meeting at an event, which, you know, you're playing the luck game, which is just live, you know, in this, in this age of data. Doesn't make any sense to me. So Disco is a discoverability app. Disco allows you to collect information about yourself and then to discer discern what experiences or individuals or content out there is going to be a good match for what you're looking for based on the information that you have brought to the table to define your preferences. So um, actually, uh, a good buddy of mine, David Hoffman, who hosts the Bankless podcast, when I first told him about Disco, his immediate response was, Disco is a dating app. Yeah, and, yeah. you know, it, as much of a joke and as it sounds, I really think that the discoverability of other people and shared interests and shared experiences is something that we can unlock with great success in Web3. Um, the matching and compatibility algorithms that are offered by Web2 applications, uh, you know, execute in a way where you've got this weird third party that's watching you swipe right and left. 
Um, but we're going to be able to do that in a privacy-preserving manner that allows us to even more specifically and granularly find the folks we're looking for, whether we're looking for ski buddies for a house in Whistler for the weekend or we're looking for a hot day for dinner on Friday night. Well, I, I think I've been watching the other part is also this their job to actually not get you to get a match because if you get a match, they don't get paid. They want you to be, for example, staying there as long as possible and swiping because your attention is what money is at, right? That's trust minimized dating. Yes, trust minimized dating. Um, so uh, I, I'm really excited about all of the social use cases and discoverability capabilities that we're going to be able to enjoy, um, you know, without uh, our concern for the security or stability or weird vibes of other social platforms um, where, you know, these things have traditionally taken place. Um, and so I think it's definitely high time that we focus on applications for fun in the metaverse. Uh, you know, we've, I think we've exhausted what we can do playing with public transferable assets and the novelties and delights of experiences that we can find there. But Web3 is ready for some fun. And we can't have fun if the only thing we know about each other is how much money we have. I have one last question before I hand it over to Tyler for the last question. Uh, can, would people be able to use Discord data to build products or apps on top of it? Like, can Absolutely, I? Yes. Yeah. So, uh, of course, subject to the consent of your um, data backpack owners, because consent is sexy. We love that. But Disco is really excited to make APIs available to applications that want to be able to build upon credentials that users bring to their front door. Um, so we're actually in the process of making that um, API key access super easy. Um, but if you're interested in getting your hands on some, please just drop me a line um, at Proven Authority on Twitter, and I will definitely hook you up. Basically. Tyler, any last questions before we get to the rapid fire? Yeah. So can you discuss any current or upcoming projects or partnerships you have in the works? Absolutely. Um, so in the next few days, actually, I think probably by the time this podcast airs, the Disco Shopify store um, integration is going to be up and running. So you'll be able to visit swag.disco.xyz, connect your wallet, we'll ping your data backpack. And based on the GM credentials that you have, based on your Disco Not credential or other community membership credentials like Boys Club DAO that you might have, you'll be able to access exclusive disco merch um, that is either going to be very discounted or even free for most folks. Um, however, if you have no credentials in your data backpack, it's going to run you about $1,000 a hat. Um, so we're really excited to enable credential unlocked merch stores for many of our partners, but first starting with our disco knots. Amazing. Tyler, do you want to start with the rapid fire? So number one, what's your favorite PFP collection? It's like PFP-ish, um, but it's a collection from um, Carson Woods, Parrot, and Chad Knight called NFT Affirmations. And these beautiful pieces of art all have meme affirmations on top of them, um, like uh, uh, my community supports me in everything I do. People pay me to explain the blockchain. I am blockchain baby mama. Like they're hilarious. And so I love to collect these NFTs and to gift them to my friends um, who are setting up their wallets for the first time. So I always keep a handful of them on hand in my VetaVask just to make sure that I'm ready to share at any moment. That's nice. So which upcoming artists would you like to spotlight? In terms of NFT artists and creators, I think Winnie.eth is definitely one to watch, um, W-I-N-N-Y.eth. Uh, she's doing some incredible work with the Figure Got Collective, um, and just generally brings a lot of magnificent chaotic energy to the uh, to the creator space. We had Winnie.eth on uh, on uh, uh, 5, right? Yes, we had her. 
Oh, nice. All right. Outstanding taste. Yeah, she was, she was really nice. She was really, uh, she was in, she's in fashion, right? If I'm not mistaken. She is fashion. She is fashion. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Which teams are you most bullish on besides disco? Besides disco, I am extremely bullish on Boys Club. Uh, Boys Club is a global community of women and non-binary people in Web3, and they have one of the most radically inclusive, joyful, fun communities that a human being could hope to find, let alone in crypto. So if you identify as female or non-binary, definitely check out boysclub.vip and come join the gang. Um, because I think it's the greatest place to onboard to learn about new technologies, whether you've been working in Web3 for 10 years or it's your first day on the blockchain. Nice. I, I remember they were putting on a lot of events like around New York City and the whole country on the past like, year or so. Which projects are underrated in your opinion? Ugh. I think that NFT projects in the music ecosystem are underrated. We all know and love the meme of music NFTs and grasp the basic premise of owning shares of or access to royalties or unique pieces of art. But I think we are only just seeing the ways that artists can compel their communities through these NFT assets and build composable experiences based on assets that you acquired a year ago, two years ago, um, being able to you know continuously contribute Easter eggs to your adventure along with them. Uh, I really like that answer. Favorite Twitter accounts? My favorite Twitter accounts are probably Shijen. And, you know, I got to go with, I got to go with Winnie also. Winnie.eth is really funny on Twitter. I'm going to Winnie, Winnie roll today. <laughs> love it. She, I'm sure she's going to love it when we, when we edit this out and you, you're talking about her this much. She's <laughs> going like, oh my God, why are you obsessed with me? <laughs> uh, Brad, individual or team, you would like to see in Web3? I would love to see Bill Nye the science guy in Web3. I want his early 90s explanatory energy yes. bringing a friendly, accessible 30-minute after-school special to all of the millennials and Gen Z kids who remember a time with VHS tapes. Amazing. Um, advice to new artists, builders, or teams entering Web3? Web3 is a multiplayer game. You can't have a blockchain by yourself. That's a database. And so when you come adventure in the metaverse, always bring a friend. Final question. One prediction for 2023. 2023 is the year of fun. Now in this build and buy market, we have quieted the noise around tokens and we have an opportunity to build things for human beings that bring us the surprise and delight and the dopamine and serotonin stability that we enjoy from the rest of our Web2 applications. Uh, I think that we've spent a long time getting up on the dopamine and adrenaline of hacks and airdrops and Twitter drama and lawsuits, and now it is time to build. Love it. On that note, Evan, thank you so much for coming on the show. This week info. Where can people find you? You can follow along with our adventures in the metaverse at disco.xyz, where we invite you to share all of your meta metaverse dreams with us. You can follow us on Twitter at DiscoXYZ, and you can find me there as well at Proven Authority. Thank you guys so much for having me today. It has been so much fun, and I will see you in the metaverse. This channel is intended purely for educational purposes and does not constitute financial or tax advice.